tuning into the 334th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk with me, your host, Daryl D. Lane. As always, I want to thank you all for tuning in, whether it be via Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, IR Radio, SoundCloud, or whatever podcasting app or platform you may be listening to me via being recorded from Buffalo, New York. As always, going to have a great pod for all you guys today. Going to have Jesse Brooks on. Fox 8 Live, that's who he works for, digital content producer there. We have a great conversation. We recorded it this morning. Uh, we talked about the New Orleans Saints season, uh, went through their stunning kind of blowout to the Panthers, to their dominating win against the Packers, the whole Jameis versus Taysom ordeal, that competition. Uh, when is Michael Thomas going to be back? Also, kind of talked about the fact that there was Hurricane Ida in New Orleans and the Saints had to move. Uh, they, they're they not practicing, so what type of facilities they're practicing in and how all that works. So great conversation, and I really appreciated Jesse coming on the podcast. Now, before we get to that, I'm going to give one of my monologues. Before we get to one of my monologues, I'm going to give my shameless plug. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, thank you, but subscribe and follow right now. Also, share this podcast with your friends and family, whether it be via Reddit threads, Facebook group chats, etc., etc. Also, subscribe to my YouTube channel. You can type in Daryl Lane and you will find me. I post uh, little clips of this podcast right here as well as my syndicate show, Outside the Shop, which I do every day. And... Follow me on Twitter at nighttrain underscore lane. I'll say it again at nighttrain underscore lane. And lastly, if you have Apple or if you have iTunes, give me a great comment and five stars. And for some odd reason, right? If you don't like the podcast, then take a page from what your mama told you. Because Mama Lane sure told me this Daryl, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. So now, I want to get into this. Your job, if you're the leader of an organization, teacher, coach, parent, it's kind of the same with football, coach, GM. Your job is to lead men, lead women, lead people for the success and the betterment of what you have going on. Whatever that might be. If you're a teacher, you have to lead the students. Make sure the kids are doing homework. Make sure they're not, you know, bullying other kids. Make sure everybody is getting good grades. Because that makes you look better as a teacher. I know for sure in college, right, it looks very well on the teacher if students are doing well in their class. It's your job to make sure everybody is successful. To make sure the team is successful. When you look at football, right, the team in the NFL, what is the name of the game? win games, get into the playoffs, have a chance to win a Super Bowl, put your best foot forward. Now let's put this in perspective with the Houston Texans season. They're one and one on the season. They've been scrappy and competitive. They blew out the Jacksonville Jaguars, who might be the worst team in the NFL. 
And they were competitive with the Cleveland Browns, who many people think are the, one of the best teams in the NFL. And their starting quarterback, Tyrod Taylor, was out for part of that game. The AFC South. Let's still keep this in perspective. The division they're in. Because you might say, eh, mediocre talent still for the Texans. The AFC South. More abundant division. One of the worst divisions in all of football. The Tennessee Titans are barely 1-1. One one. They got blown out by the Cardinals in Week 1 and Week 2. They needed a comeback from God to to beat the Seattle Seahawks, and it was in overtime. Got to 1-1 one one by the skin of their teeth. Look at the Colts. 0-2. Their starting quarterback, Carson Wentz, hurt. Doesn't look like he's going to be playing anytime soon. The Jacksonville Jaguars, like I said, 0-2. Worst team in the NFL. Tyra Taylor got hurt against the Browns. Davis Mills is going to start on Thursday Night Football against the Carolina Panthers, who have one of the best defenses in the NFL. Now, here was Davis Mills' stats against the Cleveland Browns. He was 8 of 18. Pretty bad. 44.4%. Pretty bad. Sounds like a Tim Tebow number, except that he doesn't have any rushing. 102 passing yards, 58 QB rating. One touchdown, one pick. Not very good. Moribund, disgraceful, unacceptable, incompetent trash, uh, not something that you'd want. Replacement level, poor quarterback play. And we know in this league, if you have bad, like you can get by in the NFL with mediocre quarterback play, right? You can get by if you have the really good talent around you and a good offensive coaching. You can get by. But when it comes to having bad quarterback play, you can't do it. As a Bills fan, I can tell you about a guy named Nathan Peterman. That's bad quarterback play. 44% completion percentage, bad quarterback play. Particularly when you're not making big throws down the field and you can't run the football. If you're going to be having 44% completion percentage, you need to be making big time throws down the field at least. And you need to be dynamic with your legs. Other than that, you're not doing anything to really help the offense. Particularly, the Texans aren't that talented of a team, and I don't think their coaching is fantastic, but it's good enough. So they need at least competent quarterback play, and Tyrod Taylor was giving them competent quarterback play. Now Tyrod Taylor's gone. And you know who's on their roster? Because David Mills is going to start, and Jeff Driscoll, uh, who I'm sure people that are listening right now, you haven't heard the name Jeff Driscoll since we saw him with uh, Will Muschamp in Florida. Uh, like in 2013, Jeff Driscoll is, again, a replacement-level quarterback. That's why he was on the practice squad. But you know who is on their roster, too? A man I named Deshaun Watson, who threw for over 40,000 yards, excuse me, 4,000 yards last year, uh, 33 touchdowns, 65% completion percentage, uh, top five quarterback, top 10 quarterback in the NFL. He's on the roster. And you might say, oh, Daryl, there's all this legal trouble that Sean's in. They can't play him well. He hasn't been really charged with anything. He's not going to prison by the fact that he gets to go to the Houston Texans practice. And he's still on the active roster. The NFL hasn't even suspended them themselves. The Texans haven't suspended him. The Texans are just having him on the active roster and making him inactive. So the highest power of authority in the United States of America, I think we can all agree, the American legal system says, right now, Deshaun is a free man. He can walk and do what he pleases. It is sentenced to proven guilty. Now also, let's look at this. The second highest power in this circumstance is the NFL, the employer. 
the people in the New York office, Roger Goodell, they haven't done anything either. And they've done an investigation. And they've decided not to spend him indefinitely and put him on the commissioner's exempt list. So if I'm the Houston Texans, you play him. He is your best option. Don't put Davis Mills out there or Jeff Driscoll and have them embarrass themselves and have your team really have a poor showing on a nationally televised game on Thursday Night Football. Don't do that. That's not okay. That's not cool. That's not right. And it's not the Texans' job to uphold what Deshaun uh, Watson's morals are. You're innocent and too proven guilty, like I said, and the NFL hasn't even suspended him. And you want to know what? If the NFL doesn't think that's good for the league... They can suspend him before he steps on the field and say, no, 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 commissioner's exempt list, kibosh, Deshaun will not play. And that's fine because Deshaun Watson will still get paid his salary. And it even helps the Texans because now instead of using one of your 53 or whatever roster spots, he is no longer on the roster and you can have somebody else on that roster who might actually be able to help you win games. Right now, they have somebody on their roster who they are just paying to sit there. That is bad business where you can force the NFL's hand. Worst case scenario, right? The NFL suspends them and you get a free roster spot. And Deshaun still gets paid. Everybody's happy. And also Deshaun does not have to go to work anymore. He doesn't have to be at the Houston Texans facility. Doesn't have to do scout team safety or whatever he was doing at one point. Doesn't have to do that. And best case scenario, he gets to play. And you give your team a real chance to win some football games. Now, people could also say, oh, Daryl, Deshaun could get hurt. Well, and that could hurt his trade value. Well, that is true, but Deshaun Watson tore his ACL twice, one time at Clemson and one time in the NFL. And teams were still wanting to trade for him before, (laughs) right? He's had all this legal trouble, and teams were still offering first-round picks. You want to know when teams will stop offering first-round picks? If Deshaun Watson is in jail, behind bars, that's when NFL teams will stop offering first-round picks. That's when Deshaun Watson's value will be truly hurt. Him getting hurt does nothing. He'll still be able to play quarterback. That's just the fact of the matter. And you want to know what the real true shame would be? If Deshaun Watson got indicted before they ever had the chance to trade him. That would be the biggest crime of it all. From the Texans' perspective, obviously I'm not talking about the victims or anything like that, from the Texans' perspective in terms of winning football games. So the Texans, give your team a chance that's been scrappy, that's been competitive, that's fought hard for David Culley, and play Deshaun Watson. Put the onus on the people who are in charge. Roger Goodell in the NFL. That is my message to the Houston Texans and to you. Now I want to get into this. I'm going to give another Daryl Lane top 10 list. I love these top 10 lists. Uh, And it's going to be the top 10 most physically gifted QBs in the NFL right now. Now, here's what I did for this list. And I just want to say this. There are some rookies who could have made the list. I just decided to put no rookies on here. So guys who potentially could have made this list that are rookies are Trevor Lawrence, immense physical talent. Same with Zach Wilson, uh, Justin Fields, Trey Lance, really those big four. And Mac Jones is, you know, would not be on this list. But those are the big four. 
Trey Lance, Matt, uh, Trey Lance, Zach Wilson, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, who all have immense physical ability that will not be on the list. It's only been two games, so I'm just going to cool it with that and they all played bad last week or it, Trey Lance's case didn't play, so just not going to mention any of them. Take them out. So I also want to talk about this one. I talk about physical talent for the position because I want to uh, just have a discussion on that before I get into the list. Uh, for me, physical talent, uh, it extends to running and throwing your physical ability for the position. So hand size, for example, don't want to make any you know uh, genitalia jokes, but uh, hand size, right? Uh, quarterbacks, good grip on the ball with your hands. Uh, your feet, how you move in the pocket, how you move outside of the pocket, obviously making plays on the run, uh, your ability to make people miss, uh, your arm strength, the arm angles, which is different from arm strength, right? Your ability to throw it from uh, different awkward positions, uh, your release, all that type of stuff, your size, uh, your you know your body thickness, you, you know your body too, that all plays a role in it. Uh, all that plays a role in physical ability for the QB position. So without ado, I'm going to start right here at number 10, Dak Prescott. Big, thick, strong man, uh, has a strong arm as well, uh, can move outside of the pocket, can take a lot of hits, uh, good feet. Uh, so Dak Prescott is at number 10. At number 9, this is my jocks of people, Tom Brady. Uh, people underrate the fact that Tom Brady's one of the more physically gifted quarterbacks of all time. Uh, he's in a high tier with that ability. He played in New England, which is not easy environments to play in when it gets frigid up there in Foxborough. Now he's in Tampa. When Tom Brady has no pressure around him, he throws it in the pocket. And I'm talking about with his mechanics, within the realm of what he can do, he can throw it with the best of them. And the only guys who he can't probably throw it as well as within the pocket, within his realm, are Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers. And those are two of the most talented of all time. Literally maybe one and two of all time. Uh, Tom Brady also for his age, the way he's still able to spin it. His arm is extremely powerful. He can push it down the field. It's cuts through the air on his uh, mid to intermediate routes is strong when he's throwing it as he's getting hit, has really good pocket feet, how he moves in the pocket. So Tom Brady at number nine, and he has big hands. Uh, number nine is Tom Brady. At number eight, Matthew Stafford can make every throw in the book. Amazing arm strength. Uh, if he was as athletic as, let's say, uh, let's say even say Patrick Mahomes, I don't think he's quite the athlete Patrick Mahomes is particularly right now, but let's say he's athletic as Patrick Mahomes. Matthew Stafford automatically goes into the top five easily. Like, the, the the throws he makes, there's only a couple guys in the NFL that can even do that. Even a couple of the guys that have ahead of him, I don't think have the pure arm talent that he has. They just do some other stuff physically that really impresses me. So number eight, Matthew Stafford. And number seven, Russell Wilson. First name Russ, last name Wilson. The athleticism, the quickness, the speed, the agility. And he has a pretty good arm, too. And the way he's able to throw on the run, the way he's able to move within the pocket, outside the pocket, all that stuff takes extreme physical skill. So, number seven, Russell Wilson. Number six, Justin Herbert. Justin Herbert makes a couple throws every game that you're like, what the F? How did this guy do it? Still needs to figure out how to play the position in a winning manner, but he has the arm strength. 
he has the ability to run pretty well, and he can throw it on the run very well, and he can throw it on the bun- on the run well and give his receivers a chance to catch the ball. Uh, so number six, Justin Urban also has the size for the position as well. Number five, Kyler Murray. Kyler is a guy that, you know, arguably, if you really wanted to have Kyler at number one on this list, I wouldn't, actually, no, I can't say number one, at number two, let's say number two, or if you had number one, I mean, I wouldn't agree with it, but I, I would be like, okay, you know, like, Kyler, like, probably runs, like, what, like, 4-3 as a QB, a- amazing quickness uh, with a rocket arm, he could just flick it anywhere he wants to, Kyler Murray at number uh, five. And the only thing, and the only thing, by the way, Kyler doesn't have is elite size. That's the only thing Kyler's really lacking. Number four, Aaron Rodgers. Like I said earlier, arguably one, two, three, four, five greatest arm talents of all time. He can run uh, within the pocket, extend plays, has good pocket feet within the pocket and outside of the pocket in terms of getting out on the perimeter with bootlegs and stuff like that. His arm is still as strong as ever. His accuracy on any type of throw, he can make any type of throw you want on the book. And he can do it on the money, right where his receivers can catch it, right in stride. Aaron is fantastic. It's still at his age, immense physical ability. At number three, my guy, Big Blue, Josh Allen, number 17 for the Buffalo Bills. Probably the strongest arm in the NFL. Big, thick, strong man, kind of like Dak Prescott, athletic, uh, can throw as he's being hit. You can use him in uh, read option type of scenarios, uh, can get outside of the pocket and throw on the run with pinpoint accuracy. Uh, Josh Allen, number three. And number two, Lamar Jackson. Lamar is very different from any guy on this list because his running is different, right? Like when I talk about... Josh can run, Russell can run, uh, Dak can run, all these guys can run and escape and make plays, but legitimately, like, the Ravens will run it 20 times with Lamar and be like, yo, man, take us to the promised land. Lamar runs, like, what, 4-3, 4-2 as a quarterback. His running is better than most running backs in the league. They have a rushing attack literally centered around him. His also, his arm is very strong. He does not have the pure arm talent as really maybe anybody on this list. It's still very good. But maybe it's not as special as a lot of the guys here. But what separates him is his ability to move and be a weapon with his feet. And we haven't seen this. This is like Michael Vick on steroids. And then we get to number one. The best quarterback in the NFL, Patrick Mahomes. He is the evolution of Aaron Rodgers. He's not A++ running like Lamar, but still really good running. You could use... Patrick Holmes to read options. The Kansas City Chiefs just don't do it because they're not stupid. Uh, can make plays outside the pocket, extending. Uh, can extend within the pocket. Uh, amazing arm strength, just pure arm strength. Probably the second strongest arm between Josh Allen. I think they're having a competition. At least they should be having a competition because they've been debating on Twitter or whatever. But uh, it's either him or Josh, the strongest arm in the NFL. And even what makes him a little bit better than Josh is, he can make every throw even more accurately than what Josh can. Uh, that's what makes Mahomes so special. the And also the arm angles, the ability to throw the no looks, just the feel. Uh, it's like you're watching a high-level pitcher. He has the changeup. He has the fastball. Uh, he has the slugger. He, he has all of it. And it's he can manipulate it to 80, 80 miles per hour, 90, give you that 100 miles per hour fastball, and it's just a pleasure to watch. So those are my top 10 most physically talented quarterbacks in the NFL. Number one, Patrick Mahomes. Number two, Lamar Jackson. Number three, Josh Allen. Number four, Aaron Rodgers. Number five, Kyler Murray. Number six, Justin Herbert. Number seven, 
Russell Wilson, number eight, Matthew Stafford, number nine, Tom Brady, number 10, Dak Prescott. And cut up next, after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk, we're going to have Jesse Brooks on the show for Fox 8 Live, digital content producer. And we're going to talk some football. New Orleans Saints, cut up next, after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. Oh, we're back with Barbershop Sports Talk. We have a very special guest with us, Jesse Brooks. He's a digital content producer for Fox 8 Live. How you doing, man? I'm good. How are you? I am doing fantastic. So the first thing I want to ask you is this. So with the New Orleans Saints, uh, where are they practicing because of Hurricane Ida? Like, how does all of that work? Um, the last I heard, I think they were practicing at TCU in Texas. Uh, I know they've been living in the Dallas area. And uh, they're kind of living in and out of hotel rooms at, at this time. Um, it's it's not you know unusual that you know that uh, that this kind of scenario that we've seen out of teams uh, and after hurricanes and stuff like that. But it it doesn't make it any easier. <laughs> no, for sure. So. Why specifically is it TCU? Is there any specific reason for that, or is it just? I, I think that's just whoever they um, made an agreement with, uh, whoever had an availability at this time. And um, to, to kind of coordinate a thing like this, it's, it's not the easiest thing in the world to do. Uh, and, and it might be... Uh, it might be probably the easiest thing to schedule maybe with a um, uh, college organization um, it, it, while classes are going on it might be there's uh, more availability um, I, I think it's just uh, you know it, it, it's it's some it's something where you have to go with just who's a, whoever is available at the time and whoever has open space so when do you think they'll be coming back to new orleans um i think we heard uh after week three uh they're supposed to be back um which is good um considering and past hurricanes before maybe not specifically the the saints but just looking at other uh football programs in the area colleges and things like that that have taken more direct hit from a hurricane um you know we've we've seen programs that um cannot come back home at all uh there's there's a small college uh around the area where i'm from southeastern louisiana university they on the fcs level they're actually a nationally ranked uh college football program and we're hearing that it, Hammond, Louisiana got a more direct hit from the hurricane, and um, they might not be playing any home games at all, at least it, at least for like five weeks. So uh, the Saints are kind of fortunate that 
it's more routine maintenance that they're trying to get ready for. Uh, the Superdome was already uh, in a process of getting some renovations, getting ready for this season. That process just got interrupted when uh, Hurricane Ida came through. Um, so they're not dealing with any. Uh, they're not dealing with any serious major damage. Um, maybe you know, maybe their practice facilities, uh, probably in that area, um, got hit harder than the actual Superdome. Um, but to return after week three um, is pretty quick, considering uh, how bad the storm could have been. And um, there's a lot of programs that have gone through much worse. So we're not looking at a total loss for season. It should just be a couple weeks. They'll be back in the dome. So the Saints, their first game of the season, they absolutely shred the Packers. How shocking yeah. was that? That that was actually pretty shocking. Um, you know, we've we've had to kind of curve our expectations coming into this season uh, with Drew Brees not coming back for the first time, and I don't know, it, uh, not quite twenty years, but it, uh, it it feels like a long time since we had a uh, football game that Drew Brees didn't start. So um, we kind of had to. Uh, Except that maybe we won't we won't have the best results this season. Um, they they faced Green Bay, Washington, and Jacksonville, and really took care of business. Um, there there are some reasons why uh, things did turn out well that day. Uh, I think maybe the Saints um, were a little better than people were expecting. Uh, they got depth overnight in certain areas, linebacker being one of those areas. Uh, we saw the return of Juan Alexander, uh, who was really good in that opening week, and then he missed week two uh, with injury. And injury is um, that's something that he's battled his whole entire career. Uh, but linebacker was one of those positions that they got um, some depth in seemingly just like overnight perform really well in the trenches of week one, uh, pushing guys off the line. Of course, they had an injury right away in week one with uh, Eric McCoy's center going out. Um, but in week one, uh, they, they look strong there. Uh, the defense looked uh, to be the hallmark of the team. Secondary was good. Marshawn Lattimore and uh, the rookie uh, Paulson Adebo, he was he was pretty good in week one too, um, but we all know that moving to week two is a tale of two tale of two games. <laughs> That's so true. So how how shocking were you at the variance? So it's like week one they blow out a team in Green Bay who's been to two straight NFC Championship games. That Green Bay's really thought highly of, and then maybe a Carolina Panthers team that. Is not nearly thought of in the same line. Maybe people have to reevaluate that sure. since they're two and zero, and then they kind of just get dominated. So, what's the variance there? And you're kind of like, wow. Sure, um, you know, uh, it, it, it's weird because it really is. It's like two sides of a, uh, of a coin. Um, they came in with such fervor in week one. I, I, I think that was the thing that kind of took 
people by surprise is that they had some very key last last minute additions uh, going into week one that you know um, if you weren't paying really close attention to the Saints of what that they're doing and what they're looking to do going going down the road, um, you know it might surprise you uh, that week one was an output like that. Uh, I don't want to say that they were completely brought back down to earth in week two, but obviously uh, there was a ton of factors going on in week two that contributed um, to the Carolina Panthers' loss, to loss against the Carolina Panthers. Um, namely, uh, it for one, uh, too many players out to, to key guys, uh, to um, having a full coaching staff matters. Missing so many coaches due to COVID-19 definitely played a role. Um, the team looked completely un, unprepared and uninspired. Um, and that, I think that's a, a thing that this team has to answer to. You know, now this is not a um, Drew Brees situation. Um, so game plan is key. When I saw the team in, in week one, um, it, it was different from the past in that Jameis Winston performed well, but uh, I didn't see it as a Jameis Winston-led effort. Um, Drew Brees used to really command those huddles and things like that. It's more upon Drew, uh, Jameis to manage situations and make the correct reads and stuff like that, but it's definitely a run-first offense now. Uh, with Alvin Kamara, Alvin Kamara as the uh, the main focal point, and um, I, they really believe in that rookie Tony Jones Jr. a lot too. Um, who he performed well in Week One too. The Carolina Panthers they were able to come in in Week Two, uh, recognize that, shut down the run game completely, and I think with so much. Um, untested and unproven in the new era of the New Orleans Saints, you're going to see teams try to do that more, um, completely shut down their run game, and uh, the Saints are going to have to figure out some ways down the road, and I think you'll be able to do this when you have um, a full coaching staff available more often. Um, But they're going to have to figure out some ways to beat teams when the run's not going well. Um, it, it's it's kind of, I think like if you watch week one tape, it's kind of too obvious that um, they were leaning on that run so heavily. James Winston played well, but obviously they didn't take too many shots down the field. Uh, Winston utilized his tight ends really well. Jawan Johnson had a good game in week one. Um, he made one really good catch in week two. Uh, Adam Troutman is pretty well. He did not perform well in week two. Um, but those are two talented tight ends that he's going to lean on from time to time. And uh, they're missing a number of talent, uh, talented players at wide receiver right now. So they didn't look to air out the ball too much. Week two, they couldn't even 
tried to air it out too much. There, there was a, a lack of protection from the offensive line. Um, but yeah, uh, communication is key. They got to get those coaches back. They got to, uh, they got to work on stuff. Uh, they got to find more time for James Winston because he's going to have to throw this season. They can't just, um, they can't just bet the whole offense on him on the success of Alvin Kamara. Yeah, and I think that's something that's interesting too because I think like the next step naturally for this offense to evolve is you're not always going to be able to control the game uh, with your rushing right. attack. And and I kind of saw at that game, you know, they obviously want to keep the pass attempts low. They didn't have to do that against the Packers because they were in control. But, you know, when you're down, you, you got to eventually air it out. You, you have to air yeah. it out. Uh, and I don't know if that's Sean Payton not trusting Jameis. I mean, because Jameis threw two picks, and, you know, Jameis can sometimes go kind of haywire. But if he's going to be your guy, eventually you have to trust him else you're not going right. to be as good as you can be. So how do you think they kind of toe that fine line? So I think with Jameis right now, it's more – I don't think it's so much that they don't trust him to throw downfield. I think they're doing their best to ease him into this role. And it's very, very early in the season. Uh, he just got out of that uh, quarterback competition with Taysom Hill. Um who also, you know, uh, we've seen Sean Payton take a very controlled uh, game plan with when Taysom Hill has started games in the past. Um, but I, I, I think with Jameis, that, that is the thing, trying to make him feel comfortable in this role. And uh, it looked like the mentality and the game plan was successful uh, in week one as, as far as easing him into things. But... Like you said, at some point, those training wheels have to kind of be taken off. Um, I think for a situation like that, without those uh, extra coaches, that that kind of made that whole thing difficult. And maybe maybe the maybe Peyton was a little overconfident about being able to control the game um, coming into week two. Um, the main thing I thought, I just, it just looked like a lot of guys weren't on the same page, uh, particularly on that offensive end. On the defensive side of the ball, even though the start was so bad, I actually saw some bright spots on the defensive side of the ball. I uh, saw that rookie uh, Peyton Turner uh, had, some, had some success uh, rushing the passer. Um, secondary proved that they could hang for a while um, it's going to be a really good group when they have all their depth together um, but yeah that offense um, has to work on better communication uh, they're going to have to kind of open up the bag a little bit uh, as far as play calling goes and I'm sure Sean Payton knows that uh, turns out it was a really weird week it seems like it's one of those weeks where the Saints had already lost when they got off the bus. And uh, Peyton's going to say um, not being home and uh, moving around a lot is, is not really a factor. Uh, he's going to take the blame, um, which is probably the correct approach to take to the situation. But um, in, in knowing how this affects teams at this time of year after these kind of storms in the past, 
Uh, there's no way that's not a factor. And then especially you add COVID-19 in the mix and you're, you're missing eight coaches from your staff. How big is the game this week? They're going to play the Tampa Buccaneers, the defending champions. Um, if they don't win the game, it's, you know, it's obviously the season's not lost, but it's definitely something that you want to get a, uh, a boost from. Uh, obviously, James Winston wants to show Tampa something. Um, it's a division rival. You never want to lose to a division rival. Um, Tom Brady's hot right now, so that is certainly a concern. Um, you want you also kind of you know uh, Winston's talked about winning games for Louisiana right now and all the people that um, are dealing with things. But maybe this is one the Saints want to win for Winston. Um, you know, he's in the middle of trying to reestablish himself as a starter in the NFL. And uh, they replaced, Tampa replaced him with probably the greatest quarterback of all time. Uh, and, and that guy looks like he's not slowing down at all. Um, it's going to be a difficult task, but um, on the plus side, it looks like if they can get that defense all back together and healthy, I you know I I, I think they have a championship caliber defense. Um, they can definitely face Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. The question is, um, how how well is the offense up for the challenge? Um, can James make some big throws in that game? You know he wants to. Uh, probably want some redemption after those interceptions in week two. You already hear some rumblings from some fans saying, oh, there goes the same old Winston. But uh, those interceptions in those games, I wouldn't even pick, place blame on Winston. It was, you know, at a time where he's trying to make a play uh, under duress the whole game. Um, it could be a good opportunity for uh, Winston to show that he belongs in this league and go toe-to-toe with uh, Tom Brady. Now, when you look at the AFC South as a whole, it's shaping up like you're going to have, obviously, the Buccaneers are, you know, the best team. But then, like, the Panthers, obviously, I guess the Panthers look, I guess, fairly solid. They seem like they can be legit. The Saints are there. Then Atlanta's not very good. But how tough do you think this division is going to be throughout the year? South division uh, historically has always been a very tough division. Um, even when some of the teams aren't the best, uh, the rivalries the rivalries are pretty tight. Uh, and it, it's always been that way. And um, point in case, uh, you know, you look at um, the Saints last year. You know, they were able to beat. Tampa Bay and Tom Brady, but then ultimately they couldn't beat them uh, when it really mattered in the postseason. But uh, I've seen years like that. I've seen years where uh, the the Saints were terrible, but they were able to beat Atlanta both times, or or vice versa. You know, um, 
those seem to be games that all those teams really get up for. Um, and there's always some kind of talent on each team in the NFC South. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, that, that, that seems to just be light in the NFC South. Um, you, you've got, usually have Super Bowl contenders, and this time we have a Super Bowl defender. And um, uh, the Saints are gonna, aren't going to take it lightly. Um, uh, yeah, Carolina. Uh, Carolina might be a little bit better than people were anticipating. Uh, one thing I'll say about Carolina is that, um, as much as the Saints were unprepared for that game, Carolina was totally prepared. Um, and offensively, it really looked like uh, Joe Brady's really helped put that offense together. And uh, on the defensive side of the ball, they were they were ready for anything the Saints could show uh, could show them. But um, yeah, I, I you know I could see a lot of things down the stretch really coming down to you know a spread of one or two games, and you know maybe between the Saints and, and Tampa or um, Carolina could definitely play spoiler for either uh, the Saints or Tampa uh, going down the road. Now, I want to get to Michael Thomas really quickly. When is he coming back? Uh, He was on the physically unable to perform list for that injury, so I think that is a mandatory sit for uh, six weeks whenever you get get put on that list. Um, So, whenever he does get back, that should be a huge help uh, to Jameis, who really, you know, they, they've got wide receivers now that have very specific talents, but there's, there's no top-level wide receiver for Jameis Winston and the Saints uh, right now. Uh, they're guys that could do some good things if he's got plenty of protection and that there's, you know, they could work to get some separation. Um, but he really needs a top-notch wide receiver out there. And um, if Michael Thomas can re- return on the scheduled timeline, then that would be a huge help to the offense. Now I have to ask you this. So with... Jameis and Taysom, they had a quarterback competition. I want to know, who did you think was going to win the quarterback competition coming into the year? Cause, well, cause... I never really thought it was a real competition the whole way. Uh, I, you know, It seemed to me that it was always understood that it was actually going to be Jameis Winston. Uh, but I think one thing they really wanted to do was they already had Taysom Hill there and on the roster and uh, – he had done all those things, being behind Drew Brees and uh, putting in his time, playing all these weird positions and special teams and doing all these things. Uh, and being a quarterback, starting quarterback in the NFL is something that Taysom Hill always wanted to do. So Sean Payton being the, the good guy that he is, uh, you know, I, I think he felt like he owed it to Taysom Hill to prove himself give him a chance and um, even though they had picked up Tam- uh, James Winston um, you know he was going to leave it down 
to a quarterback competition. And I think on the flip side, too, they wanted Jameis Winston to feel like he had to come in and earn something. Um, being a former number one pick, going, going to Tampa, uh, he just walked into a situation where he was immediately the starting quarterback for franchise. Um, so, yeah, I think you're taking you're taking kind of a low-risk, high-reward gamble on James Winston, but it's a gamble nonetheless. So uh, they, they really wanted to put him through a situation where he's hungry, he's studying up, he's communicating with Drew Brees, and um, learning what it takes to earn a spot uh, to be a starter quarterback in the NFL. Why do you, it sounds like what you're saying is you think the New Orleans Saints, they always had their eye on Jameis from the beginning to be the starter. Why do you think that was? Because they did start Taysom when Drew Brees was out for a bit instead of Jameis. Yeah. uh, Yeah, and, you know, I I think they've always kind of been looking for a successor. In my opinion, I think the current starting quarterback of the New Orleans Saints would have been Teddy Bridgewater had Drew Brees decided to exit earlier than he did. Uh, Drew still wanted to give him, you know, take another shot or two at uh, a Super Bowl. So Teddy could no longer wait. Um, uh, so uh, when that happened, you know, Taysom Hill was still there for all of that. Um, Jameis Winston also happened to become available. Uh, I think anytime that there's a former number one pick there, just out there, you got to take a flyer on it. Um, so when they did, you know, I, I really do think that they thought, well, here's a guy, Heisman, Heisman Trophy winner, former number one pick, had some issues in, in Tampa. But, I mean, let's be honest, it wasn't like, it wasn't. It wasn't like Jameis Winston was Jamarcus Russell, right? Like uh, he threw a lot of interceptions, but he also threw for over five thousand yards. Um, I think Sean Payton kind of sees himself as a quarterback group guru who can um, maybe kind of save guys' careers and fix them up. Um, I mean, um, he did do wonders for Teddy Bridgewater. Um, I don't think. Bridgewater would be in the position that he's in now had he not experienced success at uh, in, at the New Orleans Saints like he did. Um, now he's he's performing pretty well as a starting quarterback as um, Denver Broncos. But um, yeah, I, I, th- I think anytime you have a talent that's kind of something you you could possibly mold, you should at least take a flyer on it. Um, Taysom Hill is very talented. I, I think at this point in his career, you know, he's over 30 years old. I don't, I don't think you see a uh, started quarterback develop out of him. Um, but he's a guy with a lot of talents that could do a lot of things. I think, I think he's playing the best role possible for him. You know, uh, doesn't matter what team he's on. This role that he's in now, um, it's it's a tremendous role, and it's 
it's something that other teams are starting to look at, like if they can add somebody like that. Um, when he gets rolling and you throw these weird looks out there, it's incredibly hard to defend. You don't know if he's going to run, pass, throw, catch. <laughs> um, you, you know, so I, I, I think that's a role that Sean Payton really likes to have out there. Um, I, I know, but I just know that Taysom Hill wanted a shot to start, and Sean Payton felt like he owed him a shot. Um, and, and undeniably, I, you know, I think they made the right choice. Do you think uh, Taysom's content with that then? Wait, I'm sorry? Do you think Taysom's content with that then? Um, you know, I, I, I think it's possible that he's content. Uh, I think really, if you look at his age and where he's at now, uh, you know, he might be content just being able to play in the NFL, uh, to have a role in the NFL. Um, he could, he could try to leave and go to another team, um, and take a shot at becoming a starting, starting quarterback, but you have to wonder now with the window being so small on that opportunity, uh, if he, if he leaves and goes to another team and, and doesn't become a starting quarterback, you know, what's going to happen to him then? Um, you know, the New Orleans Saints is a franchise that took, that took a chance on him, period, uh, to give him a roster spot. Um, and carved out a role for him, um, you know. Um, I, I, if it were me personally, I, I, I'd, I'd be willing to accept it. I, it, it. It has kept him. This kind of role has kept him in the league. Period. Uh, I, you know, without it, I don't think. Uh, I don't know if he'd be sticking around as a backup or anything like that. Uh, and that's not to act like he can't completely play quarterback. We've seen him win games, but I think I think that's what you get out of him. Uh, he looks like a backup caliber quarterback when he's under center. Uh, he just happens to have some other talents um, that can get him on the field in other areas. Um, I think that's a blessing for both him and the New Orleans Saints. Do you think is there any like how stable do you think James is at the starting quarterback? So, could there be any situation where the play deteriorates to the point where they pull him for Taysom, or do you think the plan is we're going with Jason? Jason's entrenched. Jameis is entrenched as our starting quarterback. I, I I definitely think he's the starting quarterback now. Like if we have four more weeks of just disastrous looks, and sure they they might give. Taysom Hill an opportunity or, you know they might see it as an op- opportunity where well you know we'll run the ball most of the dang day uh, with Taysom Hill and he'll roll out and pass whenever he has to and we'll try to manage these games uh, to run out as much clock as we can but no I, I really do think that James Winston is legitimately the starting quarterback the, of the New Orleans Saints, it's not a situation where um, they're going to pull him for Taysom Hill uh, at any moment's chance. I yeah, I don't foresee that. Um, 
is uh, Trevor Simeon's actually listed as the second string quarterback, uh, while Taysom is back to being like a utility player. Um, but no, um, I, it's look. We saw a decent week one. Uh, there was a bad week two. Um, I don't think there's a reason for fans to panic right now. It's just uh, it was a bad week. Um, and then if you go back to week one, you look at the other side uh, of, of the team, uh, of the field, uh, there's Green Bay. And Aaron Rodgers had a terrible game against the New Orleans Saints. But, you know, I, he fired back against Detroit last night. Um, you know, he, there's even some tension between Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay front office and all that. But, you know, I don't think they're going to bench Aaron Rodgers. So, uh, keeping that in mind, um, uh, just be patient. I, I think they're going to be patient with Jameis. He really would have to bomb it for like four or five weeks straight before uh, there'd probably be a com- uh, conversation about uh, changing of the guard. So, Jesse, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast, man. I appreciate it. And once again, I want to thank Jesse for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. And I want to thank all of you for tuning into this episode, the 334th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk. Georgia. Georgia on my mind